0: Carl Calabrese is with us. Carl, happy uh, 716
1: day. <laughs> Same to you, Joe, and to all our listeners.
0: Now, Carla, a lot's been going on, you know. I mean, it, it seems like that's just the world of politics these days. But let's start right here in the great state of New York, where just two years ago we had the congressional districts redrawn, and now New York is being ordered to redraw that map again. Carl, how did we get here?
1: That's what it means to live in a such a blue dominated state. Um, Whereas I've said many times, Joe, with you, with David, with Susan and Brian in the morning, the left never sleeps and the left is never satisfied. And I'm not surprised at all that they did not take the ruling uh, of the last court uh, with the last set of maps and just say, okay, these are the maps. No, they they don't give up. They they do not accept defeat. They came right back and uh, they filed a new suit. And they won their first round. I'm sure this is destined to go to the highest court in New York, which is the Court of Appeals. And it may even be destined to go to the US Supreme Court, because uh, you know many people feel that given the, the makeup of the judicial system and the judges in New York state, that the Democrats probably stand a pretty decent chance of, of prevailing with this latest lawsuit and and getting the judges to uh, support the, the Supreme Court decision. Um, the New York State Supreme Court decision, that is. Uh, and remember, the, the court that ruled the first time uh, that the, the Democrats had essentially gone way over the top and, uh, in, in terms of how they drew maps and uh, appointed a special master to redraw those maps, that court has changed. One of the judges that voted in that ruling uh, to throw out those original Democrat maps has been replaced. Uh, by a Kathy Hochul appointment. Uh, I think it's reasonable to assume that that person is uh, of the left. And uh, that's why I think the Democrats felt that it was a good time to re-challenge the law and uh, try to get new maps. However, um, we may may be on new ground here where you're you're rewriting a rewrite of the first, of the second set of maps well past the census uh, into the next uh, 10-year period when the map should be in play and that's why i think it's possible republicans could take this all the way to the supreme court if if, uh, if they lose at the state level
0: would this be the kind of uh decision where it could go back to a special master where does this bipartisan redistricting committee uh, fit into uh, all this
1: we don't know i don't know what the court is going to rule i mean they may send it back to the bipartisan redistricting committee which as you recall the first time they were deadlocked. There were 10 people on that committee. They were deadlocked, five each. Uh, they could not agree on a set of maps. The legislature then took it over and produced uh, not just a politically favorable map, which is, you know, it's part of the game. It's part of the system. Um, parties in power have always sought to use reapportionment to their advantage to, to give their candidates uh, a leg up over the next 10 years. But basically what the court said in that first decision, and I read the whole decision, was that the Democrats just got a little too piggish, and not only did they just try to give their candidates a leg up, with one aspect of of the campaign process, that being uh, voter enrollment, uh, but they essentially tried to reapportion the Republican Party out of existence in New York State, and the court felt that that was just a bridge too far, and turned it, uh, and then appointed a special master to draw the the new boundaries. So I don't know. I don't know what this new court. Remember, the court is different now. As I said, it, it's got a new a new member. One of the people who saw a problem with the Democrat maps is gone. Uh, and so it could get sent back to the, the bipartisan commission, and they might deadlock again, 5-5, five, five, which means it goes back to the legislature. And the legislature, uh, dominated by Democrats, is going to do everything it can to give its party the advantage, especially at the congressional level, uh, given that the Republicans picked up, I believe, four seats in New York State that they were not expected to pick up in 2022, which in itself contributed to the Republicans taking control of the house of representatives um, after that midterm election, they're going to try like hell to make sure they get as many of those four seats back as possible because that could be the determinant as to who is in control uh, after the next uh, congressional election in the house of representatives.
0: I was going to say a lot of eyes uh, from the national Democrat party have to be on this uh, situation right now.
1: Oh sure. And you know, the, the national Democrats have had a, a program, uh, led by the former Attorney General Eric Holder, and it's referred to as Sue to Blue. And that was a, a, a dedicated strategy to suing uh, Republican legislators, Republican governors, after those first series of maps um, uh, before the 2022 midterm. And the idea was, you know, if you don't win in the legislature, if you don't get the map you like, you go to court and you say they're, they're racist, they're, they're discriminatory, uh, you know, all of the arguments they used. And in many cases, they, they were successful um, in getting maps overturned and, and new maps that were more favorable to the Democrats. So it is, it is part of a strategy called Sue to Blue uh, that we've seen all over the country and, and you're seeing it here in New York.
0: You know, maybe this is a little my bias, Carl, going in, but couldn't some of these districts that were really close when it comes to, um, you know, Republicans taking a district in New York, couldn't some of that be because uh, uh, Kathy Hochul might not have been the best candidate or Zeldin ran a better campaign than expected more than just the, the districts? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
1: you start off with the district, okay? The, the just the broad numbers of Republican, Democrat voters, and independent voters. It doesn't end there, though, because you know it also depends on candidates, the quality of your candidate, the quality of your message, the quality of your fundraising effort, the quality of your grassroots volunteer effort. A lot goes into a winning campaign, but uh, you can't ever downplay the importance of having a favorable district to your candidate. It gives you, as I say, it doesn't end the race, but it gives you a leg up before you even get to the other aspects of of engineering a successful campaign. But no, you're absolutely right. Uh, A lot of that was due to the fact that Kathy Hochul was not the best candidate. Not only that, Joe, she ignored until very late in the campaign The number one issue on people's minds in New York, and that was the issue of crime. And Lee Zeldin rode that as well as he possibly could in this deep, deep blue state and almost pulled off a tremendous uh, upset. You knew the Democrats were really scared when the last weekend before election, they brought in their big guns, the Clintons, the Obamas, and they campaigned in New York and to try to turn out a bigger Democrat vote in New York City to sway that election. And it it certainly helped, it certainly worked in many ways. But uh, yeah, I mean, she just, she ran a very poor campaign and almost paid for it with her office.
0: Speaking of the Clintons and Obamas, let's uh, focus on the White House. Now, Carl, in 2010, I was asked twice to throw out a SpongeBob Popsicle before walking into the White House, all right? (laughs) I was asked by one person, and then as I'm walking to the garbage can, another person said, you have to throw that out. I go, I know, that's where I'm heading. Uh, But, you know, this cocaine thing, and I know some people say, oh, it's being overblown, you know, it's not as big a deal. I don't even care that it's cocaine. The fact that in the White House, you know, you would think one of the most secure buildings in the world We can't find who put a bag of cocaine or whatever uh, substance in the White House. I mean, this seems a little absurd to me.
1: Yeah, we can't find who leaked the Dobbs decision last May either. I mean, that that has kind of gone away. Um, Yeah, it's bizarre. And like I say, it's an insult to uh, Americans intelligence that the secret service says there's there's nothing we can do we, we can't do finger we can't do fingerprints we can't do dna uh just so happens that with all the cameras in the white house this one little cubby hole is in a blind spot and they expect us to believe all of that and remember when they first found this white powder they thought it was could be anthrax and they they vacated the, the white house that's how scared they were and so yeah i mean what kind of message does it send to uh potential criminals terrorists that uh maybe the the most secure building in, in the world is not as secure as they would have us believe. So this, this was terrible. It's, it just plays into American cynicism about its institutions now, especially law enforcement and intelligence agencies, what we've seen the last five or six years, uh, how politicized and weaponized they have become. It just strengthens that, that it's an insider's game, uh, and that if anything could hurt the Bidens, it's just not going to come to fruition. And I, I think it's despicable and it's, it's a real black mark on what has otherwise been a very, very um, well thought of institution, that being the Secret Service.
0: I just am I wrong in thinking if it wasn't Joe Biden as president, it wouldn't have wrapped up that quickly like this investigation would still be going on.
1: Oh, not only that—they probably would have a perpetrator. They'd probably be doing a perp walk, okay, and and they'd be looking into the person's background, and it would be the lead story, and uh, you know, if it if it could be tagged in the narrative of a, a white mega MAGA white supremacist MAGA voter, I mean, that would be that would be the narrative that would be pounded and drumbeat into our heads for days and days on end. But this just goes away, just like the the, the Biden laptop and. All of the other scandals going on, all of the phony companies set up to receive tens of millions of dollars from foreign governments, including China, distributed to Biden family members. Again, if this were if this were the other party, especially Trump or Trump's kids, we all know how the media uh, would be handling it. And it would be a whole lot different than what we're seeing now.
0: Speaking of uh, President Biden, he was overseas. And again, Carl, you know, I would have to think that even if you're a Democrat, you are saying not the best when it comes to the visuals we got from this European trip, not the best trip for the president.
1: No, I mean, he had some successes. Um, He did convince Turkey to reverse its opposition to adding Finland to NATO uh from a geopolitical standpoint that's a pretty big victory uh, i mean i know there are some people would say well wait a minute how we've got a, a new member of nato that we're obligated to defend who happens to share an 800-mile border with russia that could be problematic but nonetheless it was a, a diplomatic victory for him but certainly overshadowed by you know the partial trip up the stairs of air force one the scene in the uh, palace at in britain with the king and and him trying to, joe biden trying to strike up a conversation with one of the members of the royal guard and we all know they they can't talk to anybody they must remain silent and there's biden trying to converse with him and then the king grabbing him by the arm and leading him away uh he seemed kind of confused and then of course that speaking of finland that visual of him going through a, a rope line in finland and stopping at a mother with a, a, a child under two years old uh and just very if you watch the video it is downright creepy that he's munching on her shoulder and then blowing in her hair and getting in right up next to her. And when he gets to a certain point in terms of closeness to her, she, the little girl just kind of recoils in, in fear and turns away and grabs her mother. It was, a, it was a devastating video. And again, it just drives home that maybe Joe Biden is, has got some. Well, let me put it this way as I said the other day. His physical and cognitive failures are becoming more and more apparent and more and more prevalent to the American people every single week.
0: It's, it's amazing to me the double down that Democrats are doing. I mean, if, if most, I would believe, if a majority of Democrats were honest, they would say they don't feel comfortable with Joe Biden being on the ballot in twenty four.
1: No question. And, and what's interesting, Joe, is that very sentiment is starting to be talked about and written about openly. Um, I read a, I read an article today. I'll tell you what it was. I have, I have my, my tablet right in front of me. And it reads, um, uh, Dems worried about Biden now reaching out to alternatives. This was by CNN. It was on the CNN website. And basically, it says that key Democrats are now Starting to talk to behind the scenes and tell people be ready potential candidates be ready He's not going to be the candidate. I know he's saying he's running and going through the motions But when push comes to shove in the new year, he will not be the candidate We as a party have to be ready with an alternative to not only deliver the nomination to that person but then of course the the, the White House come the November uh, 2024 election so it's starting to surface now that there's there's angst there's hand-wringing There's gnashing of teeth on the part of the Democrats that this this may not be the best path for our party to take, and that is renominating a sitting president.
0: You know, and it goes back. Speaking of the twenty four election, it, it, in my opinion, goes back to twenty sixteen when we're talking about stamina. And you know, you've got Biden uh, again, just the visuals of Biden not good in my opinion for his campaign. And then you've got Donald Trump. He's buying people blizzards at Dairy Queen. I mean, he's back to campaign Trump. He doesn't look like he's slowing down at all.
1: No, not at all, and it's. It's proof positive of what we all know: people age differently. We all know people who are seventy uh, who look and act very, very old and have many, many ailments, physical and cognitive. And we know people in the 80s who are playing golf and doing and playing bogey golf and as sharp as a tack. It's everybody is different. And Joe Biden is 80 now; he will be 81 in November of this year. Uh, and th- I mean, and he's showing his particular signs of aging uh, are are certainly visible. And we all know people, have people in our families uh, who have gone through this and we see it and we know what to look for. And so it's very, very difficult to, for the White House to put a good spin on it when the American people know what aging, dementia, uh, you know, the, a dropping off of talent and physical skills looks like because they, they've seen it with their friends and family. So it's going to be really tough if he is the candidate um, to to kind of put a good spin on that. I think if he is the candidate, I have my serious doubts about that, but if he is the candidate, they're going to do a very, very tightly managed campaign. It's going to be a Rose Garden strategy where he very seldom ventures from the Rose Garden of the White House very limited appearances, very scripted appearances, uh, very, very few questions from the press. And they're going to rely on surrogates to campaign for him. And of course, they're going to rely on the media to carry the, carry the water for them uh, against the Republican and, and for the Democrats. So I, that's what I'm expecting now. But again, I, I've said this on many times on, on your radio station, Joe, I, I just have a feeling that come January, Joe Biden may very well do what I call a Lyndon Johnson, uh, announce the American people that he's He's not a candidate for renomination. Interesting, last week in the Wall Street Journal, not this Saturday, but the Saturday before, Peggy Noonan wrote, basically wrote his speech of withdrawing about and citing what he could say were his accomplishments—that you know he got Donald Trump out of the office, uh, he he vacated that mega uh, that mega uh, segment of the population, he pushed them to the side. He's done this, he's done that, the Inflation Reduction Act, and all the other things he could cite, and that now that he's done that. Um, he fulfilled his pledge to be a trans a transitional president and there's a new generation of Democrats that can now build on his successes and it's time to to turn over the torch. He basically wrote a speech for him so uh, I, again that's that's if I that's what I'm looking for right now come January uh, if he does come on television to make that announcement, I would not be surprised
0: and who he will run ag- he he or. The uh, nominee will run against on the Republican side. We're coming up on the first debate in a little over a month, Carl. Uh, How much weight do you put into these early debates? Well,
1: they're kind of, they serve more as a winnowing process at this point. Um, Unless somebody makes a huge mistake uh, on the level of uh, Rick Perry, when he said there are three departments of the federal government I would eliminate, and he could only remember two, okay? (laughs) Unless one of them make that kind of mistake, not much, especially if Trump is not on, on the on the debate table or at the debate table, which right now he says he's not going to participate. I mean, from a political strategy standpoint, it's probably a good strategy because, you know, he's he's the big dog now and they're all chasing him. And, and they, if he is on the debate stage, the ratings for that debate will be twice what they would be if he's not there. And he knows that. And so his position is, why should I give free publicity to my opponents to attack me? So, uh, you know, it, it's, it could be a winnowing process. Uh, but if he's not on that debate, it certainly loses a lot of its steam.
0: Carl, you and I have talked a lot about Ron DeSantis, and it, it seems like his campaign has just stalled over the last few months. I, am I looking too far into that just because it's so early, or is that a concern that's being shared?
1: Oh, no, it's certainly a concern that's being shared. Just, just look at the numbers. Right after last November's election where – there was a red wave, but it was just uh, isolated to Florida. I mean, what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida, both from a governmental policy standpoint and what he's done from a political organization standpoint, making making Florida a solid Republican state, I mean, his numbers were just slightly behind Trump. Since then, he's dropped 20 points in the polls. I mean, so that tells you it's not just Trump getting indicted, some of it might be, but it's also the fact that for whatever reason, he's not He's not getting any traction. There's a couple of theories about it. One is is that he's talking too much about what he's done in Florida. Now that may sound like a contradiction, but a couple of months ago, former governor of Wisconsin Scott Walker, who in 2016 was considered a front-runner, he flamed out and he wrote a piece in Real Clear Politics where he analyzed his 2016 campaign and he said my biggest mistake was I listened to the consultants who said campaign on your record in Wisconsin. He said now I realize that people don't want to hear about what somebody did in their state in the past. They wanna hear about what you're going to do for the country in the future. And that means bold ideas. And he said, if I could do it over again, that's the track I would go down. Bold ideas, challenge the status quo. Um, I look at DeSantis and basically that has been his campaign. Um, And I, I put that in context with what Scott Walker said. And I think that that idea and that theory holds some water here. The other thing is he's been afraid as they all have been of attacking Donald Trump. And uh, as someone said, if, 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 if you're gonna fight the champ, you gotta throw punches. And thus far, he's been afraid to really take Trump on and throw some punches. And I think it's, until he does that, uh, and until he starts talking about the future and putting forward some bold ideas, he's just not overcoming the feeling within the party that Trump was denied a legitimate second term in 2020. He was cheated out of uh, his election, and now he's being persecuted and prosecuted by the establishment to the point where, you know, we've already had, what, two indictments and there are more to come, and that this is the payback. We've got to put this man back into office just to show these people they cannot choose our nominee and choose our president. So that's the dynamics going on now within the Republican Party. And so far, DeSantis and every everyone else in the, in the race, I think we're up to 11 candidates, uh, have not found the formula to break out of that and get the 60% of the
0: party that doesn't want Trump uh, solidified and coalesced around their campaign. It'll be interesting to follow. Carl, always great catching up with you. Uh, have a great Sunday. Thank you, Joe.
2: That Take it- care. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?